Hello, hello, Heat Nation. Welcome back to Heaters Gonna Heat, the Miami Heat podcast for the OTG Podcast Network. Uh, my apologies to anybody that usually listens to this uh, Friday morning, because uh, I usually record Thursday nights. I had some illness last night, so I'm recording this Friday morning instead. Uh, fortunately, not too much has changed since last night. So it's been what's felt like a long week since uh, the episode we had last time, where the big story at the time was the injury to uh, Victor Oladipo and the concerns about what would happen long-term going forward. At the time of the recording last time, they at least done an x-ray to figure out that there was no structural damage there, which is good. That's a great first step. The next sign is usually you get an MRI uh, and then see if there's any like muscle damage or things like that. And from the reports, the MRI has come back fine. There's no damage there. The problem seems to be some sort of like persistent pain or um, soreness that's, that's coming around the knee area. Again, this is the right knee, the same leg that he injured several years ago with a ruptured quad tendon and has been on the record saying that that leg is currently weaker. It has atrophied a little bit because of the rehab he had to do for the uh, quad tendon. So right now, it's there's a bit of debate going on. The Heat have let Victor Oladipo go out and seek secondary opinions, try to figure out what necessarily is wrong, which is a little bit of a contrast to how they have handled uh, certain injury situations. So like the, what comes to mind is uh, Justice Winslow and Dion Waiters, from the last few years with both of those players had injuries that the Miami Heat felt they could have either played through or were maybe over-exaggerating. It did eventually end up with the team and those players kind of having a, a dissolution of trust between them, and obviously eventually those two were also traded. Um, one could argue maybe Miami was pushing them too hard. The other side could be, well, if all their doctors are saying they're fine, you can kind of at least see a little bit where they're coming from. And this is not to say that Miami, I mean, yeah, yes, the NBA is a business. They want the players to play. Availability is the most important thing. And you don't want millions of dollars sitting on the bench um, when it could be out there contributing. But it is also worth reminding that this is still the same Heat organization that a few years ago when Chris Bosh was having blood clots. Um, and those were that is a life-threatening situation, not just like, like yes, yes, it sucks. But at the end of the day, if, if you really mess up your ankle and that, that's your career, at least you have your life. Like what, what Bosch was dealing with a few years ago was literal a literal life or death thing where a clock goes the wrong way, it pops up to the brain, you're done. Um, so in that situation, the Heat were, were very critical in saying to Bosch, no, we are not playing you, we are not risking your life. So on the one hand, you have the situation with Bosch um, where they clearly valued the player. And on the other hand, you have situations like Winslow and Waiters where it looks like they were trying to tell the players to get out to the court. This situation, they seem to be leaning back towards what they did with Bosch, where they're trying to you know, keep goodwill with the player and say, hey, you don't feel right, go out, uh, get your secondary opinions, hopefully everything comes back fine. As of recording this morning, Friday, there's been no updates on anything after the MRI results, nothing about whether he's going to be rejoining the team soon or if he found secondary opinions. Nothing of that sort. So kind of in a holding pattern, unfortunately, when it comes to Oladipo. But at the, at the end of the day, he was he was supposed to be an X factor to kind of help Miami get over the hump and, you know, try to make some noise in the playoffs. We can still make some noise without him. Uh, it'll just be much, much tougher. Um, but for the long term, for Oladipo's career, uh, we're just going to have to see how that goes. 
Uh, hopefully, hopefully it ends up fine. The, the league's always more fun when you have lots of talented players. That's for true. And to whether that means Miami might look to re-sign him in the summer, um, it's still a little too early for that. Essentially, we're going to have to see how the next few months play out. So, like, for example, if Oladipo ends up not coming back at all, then Miami has to keep that into account. Maybe they don't either offer him as many years or as much money. Um, and then there's also the, the compounding part of what if another team feels like they're, re- they're willing to offer that. The, the good thing for Miami is they still have him in-house. They can work with him. They can keep in touch with him for the next few months. Best case scenario, obviously, would be he comes back, he's fine, he figures out a way through it, and we advance and win an NBA championship. But as I say that, I do feel like that is, um, that is the way ideal situation. Uh, in the worst case scenario that he doesn't come back at all, at least Miami, like I said, they keep in touch with him and they see how things go as his rehab progresses throughout the next few months, and then they can make a more educated decision about whether to bring him back long-term in the summer or to let him move on. Um, either way, it puts Miami in a good position. Uh, outside of Oladipo, there were some other roster moves that were done. Uh, Miami brought in Dwayne Dedman. Uh, there was, it was a bit of a rumor going around for a while that he had signed. I think either Shams or, or Woj uh, reported that one. But it took a little bit, but then it, made, it was made official, and now Dwayne Dedman's on the team. And as for the, what he brings to Miami, he could help fill what has become kind of a precarious backup five situation. So, so obviously our starting five is Bam, and then the big concern has been what to do with the backup. Uh, for most of the season, Miami was primarily relying upon Precious Achua, their rookie, who can somewhat fill in a lot of the same-ish uh, archetypes or roles as Bam does. So you think like a little bit of a smaller center, more of a small ball five that can set screens, use athleticism to roll to the rim hard, uh, can get out and play defense, switch onto the perimeter, and then can keep the ball moving a little bit uh, when he's involved on the offense. The The big limitations there is the scoring part. He is nowhere near the score Bam is. So that's where some of the limitations are. And then at times, uh, he can lose focus on the defensive end. He is a rookie, though, and it comes with the big caveat that we had this extremely shortened offseason. We had no summer league. We had a shortened uh, training camp. And it's really starting to look like it's starting to take its effect around now. Usually we have what's called the, the rookie wall, where rookie players will start out fine, but then around like halfway to three quarters through the season, they start to slump a little bit, or as, as the name implies, they hit a wall. Reason for that, uh, the NBA season is 72, well, 72 this year, usually 82 games, and most of these players, even if they're playing college, they're playing around like 40 to 40, 50 games, um, showing my lack of uh, college basketball knowledge here. The point being, though, is they're going to hit a point where they have played way more games in a year than they ever did uh, previously, and that's usually when the wall sets in. For Precious, it definitely looks like it started to set in harm. It is also being compounded by the lack of training that was available before the season that rookies would normally get. However, everybody has to deal with this. So kind of got to find a way forward. So when Precious Achua started to struggle, that's when Miami made some moves around the trade deadline to try to bring in Nemanja Bielica. Make sure I say that right this time. Messed it up last time. <laughs> uh, Bielica. Anyway, 
Uh, he originally, I thought he was going to be like a stretch four, kind of similar to what uh, we did with Luke Babbitt a few years ago during the 2016-17, the 31-10 and 10 season. Legendary. He ended up being, Bielitsa ended up being more of like a backup stretch five, which is very interesting conceptually because it allows, it allowed Miami to kind of hide him a little bit on defense. Um, and then he obviously would still provide a lot of spacing on offense which could let you do some different kinds of lineups. The problem most recently has been we tried that out for like a week or two. His conditioning still needs to get there, but that's fine. That's understandable. He's coming from the – and again, no, no disrespect to the Kings. Miami holds himself to a different standard. He's coming from a, a different team than the Kings to Miami where conditioning is highly valued and prized. Um, maybe it's in relation to that, or maybe it's just – some some sort of slump to him. But the other big problem has been he has not been able to shoot the three. He's shooting below 20% from three in a Miami Heat jersey, which you can't be a stretch five, you can't be a stretch anything if you're shooting below 20%. So with Bielitsa, it has now become the problem of, okay, you're not getting any value out of that. His conditioning isn't quite there yet. He's getting abused on defense and he's not giving you anything on the offensive end because he can't knock down the shot. So that's why Miami has had to look to additional player in a Dwayne Dedman, who's more of a kind of traditional uh, backup center. He's a little bit of bigger body. Definitely it's going to help Miami with rebounding, which has become an issue for them, especially if we look at the, the last two games that they lost this week against the Suns and the Nuggets. We'll get more into that. But Dedman can theoretically give them a backup five that can be a little bit more defensive, a little bit more traditional, uh, can grab them some rebounds, and then theoretically can shoot. So we'll have to see how far that gets. We did see a, a little bit of it uh, Wednesday night against the Denver Nuggets. He actually premiered. However, that was in some garbage time at the end. Uh, so how much of that you can really take away? He looked good in those minutes. He, he was productive, but it's garbage time. So you have to take that with a huge grain of salt and question what, how that's going to translate to non-garbage time. But promising first step, and like I said, right now, Precious has hit a wall. Bielitsa isn't dropping. His shot isn't falling. So we don't have a lot of options. Roll Deadman out and see what, see what he gives you for the minutes that uh, Bam's resting. And with the off-court news out of the way, let's go back to what Miami did on the court for the last week. Uh, they had three games as they started their four-game West Road trip against... Um, some very tough teams in the West. This week we saw them play the Blazers on Sunday, the Suns on Tuesday, and then a back-to-back -back Nuggets on Wednesday. So to start out with uh, the Sunday game against the Blazers, this was definitely the game that I was looking at this week as the one that was most likely for them to win, primarily because um, Miami was coming off of two nights of rest. Meanwhile, the Blazers were on the second night of a back-to-back, -back, which... Usually, that's, that's a, even if you're the away team, that's a good recipe going in. And it ended up showing. There was a close first quarter uh, where the, both the Blazers and the Heat were kind of trading blows. But then once the second quarter happened, Miami was able to take over and essentially coasted for the rest of the game to um, a pretty solid victory, which is fantastic for them. Secure that win. Uh, like I said, this is, this is going to be probably the most likely one. Um... The big takeaways from this game actually were the way that Miami limited the backcourt of Lillard and McCollum. This is one of the best scoring backcourts in the league. 
and Miami held them to 10 of 28 shooting for only 29 points. So for reference, usually Damian Lillard can go off for 29 points on his own. So that both were held under 20 points. Uh, Lillard specifically was only held to 12 points. Miami did a fantastic job of kind of cutting off the head of the snake there and keeping the Blazers' backcourt from really doing any damage, which is what let them coast to an easy win. Uh, moving on from that, Miami then had one day off Monday before going into the Phoenix Suns, who previously whooped the mess out of them right before the trade deadline. Uh, this, a little bit of a similar situation. Miami only had one day of rest, but the Suns were coming off of a back-to-back. So there was some potential there that like maybe Miami could capitalize on it like they did for the Blazers and then eventually um, secure another win, especially against one of the best teams in the West. It started out very strong. The Heat was very strong starting out. They had a commanding lead at the end of the first quarter, and then it just all kind of fell apart, primarily when the backups came in. Phoenix's bench absolutely torched Miami, whereas Miami's bench which theoretically should have been a strength of theirs if you were if you were to just look on, on paper anyway. They just couldn't hit anything. It was especially bad from three. The bench in particular, which again includes players like Tyler Hero and Goran Dragic and uh, Bielitsa, as well as a little bit of Vincent. So like these are players that we can think of that can knock down the three at least. They went 0 for 17 from three which kind of encapsulates one of the big problems Miami had that night, which is just terrible three-point shooting. I mean, you, your bench goes 0 for 17 from 3. It's very hard to win that game. Overall, Miami shot, let's see, they shot 20% from 3. That's right, technically a little bit over, 20.5%. Just got over that 20% mark. But very tough to beat a team that way. Phoenix absolutely capitalized on it and then just hammered us. Uh, DeAndre Ayton was devouring us on the boards, so point, one of the reasons why we want to look into a player like Dwayne Dedman that could help with the rebounding. And the other big takeaways here was a very unaggressive Bam Adebayo. He didn't. He finished with like six shot attempts. Let's double check that. Yes, he finished with uh, six shot attempts, half of which came in the fourth quarter, which was already garbage time. So... Part of it was Miami not looking for Bam. Part of that was Bam not trying to get his own shot. And then part of that was what Phoenix was doing. End of the day, though, Bam Adebayo has to has to put up more than, than six field goal attempts. He still finished with double-digit points in 11, but without that pressure on the rim, it just makes things tougher for the other players. And, again, he, he's a max-level player. This is part of his responsibilities. It's part of his next step to learn to be more aggressive. Even if things aren't being called for him, even if he doesn't feel like it's night, that, that's just part of his responsibilities. And it's something that he did somewhat correct in the next game. But this game against the Suns, uh, it was definitely apparent how unaggressive he was. And then the last major thing from the Suns game was about midway through the fourth quarter when Jimmy Butler came down hard on his ankle and had to sideline himself for a few minutes um, with an injury. Looked like it was going to take him out for the night, considering the score at the time, considering they had another game against Denver the next night. Um, from a personal standpoint, like obviously Eric Spolster is way better head coach than I am, so I'm just kind of throwing my two cents out there. I would not have thrown Butler back in. That game was um, out of grasp, and there was more important stuff later on. Jimmy Butler is the 
pretty much like the heart and soul. He also the engine. He keeps everything in that team running. We saw that earlier this season. So I would have prioritized him. Fortunately, he doesn't seem to have done anything bad, but he did eventually go back into the game, tried to do something, even though, like I said, it was already garbage time, and that ended up just um, being a loss, unfortunately. The next game we then had was against the Denver Nuggets the following night, so back-to-back for Miami in the Mile High City. Uh, Fun fact, I didn't realize, they put on the free throw line 5,280, which is how many feet in the air they are. Because they want you to know that, like, when you go to shoot your free throws and you're sitting there dribbling the ball, you look down and you see, like, oh, yeah, I am really high up in the air and this is going to hurt my lungs. But uh, that is the big advantage Denver has from a home court perspective. They obviously still have a very good team on the floor with who I would probably say is going to be the MVP of the season, Nikola Jokic. Uh, They were without Jamal Murray. This was a uh, terrible thing that happened Monday night that their secondary, their second-best player, Jamal Murray, went down with an ACL injury. He's going to be out for 9 to 12 months. It's It was really sad because the Nuggets like were looking like a legitimate finals-level team with the addition of Aaron Gordon, and now it's going to be a struggle to, to probably just to reach the conference finals for them if, if they even get past the first round, depending upon matchup. Like, they could get the Lakers, and that could that could be it against a healthy AD and LeBron. Regardless, uh, Miami was going in. Sure, there was the second night of a back-to-back and the massive home court disadvantage with the, the whole Mile High City thing. But for the Nuggets, they were coming off of a devastating injury that, was, that could have lowered morale. Um, if it did, I couldn't tell. At first, though, it looked like my, maybe maybe they were, and Miami could capitalize on it. Like with the Suns, Miami came out extremely aggressive to start, of which the most aggressive was Bam Adebayo. Looked like he was trying to make up for that Suns game. I think he scored their first, like, six points or the first eight of ten or something like that. Regardless, Bam Adebayo came out looking to score, and he was getting it to start the first quarter. And it's what helped Miami build... A huge lead in the first quarter. It did kind of settle down a little bit by the end. Denver went on a little run to, to close it out. But uh, at the very least, Miami came and they looked like they were ready to play. Unfortunately, kind of like before, once the, the bench came in, it very quickly changed. The Nuggets took over and they essentially just kind of coasted from there, unfortunately. Uh, Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. for the Denver Nuggets this is a very, very big front court next to Nikola Jokic. Absolutely crushed us on rebounds, cuts, um, putbacks, everything. We we got absolutely manhandled on the boards to the tune of a 43-30 to 30 advantage for the Denver Nuggets, which played a huge factor in just how they, they kept pushing the lead and keeping keeping Miami away. Butler did play this game, although he was understandably not as aggressive he still finished with some decent points, playmaking, rebounding, assisting, do a little bit of everything, but he definitely looked a little limited. He did make up for it a bit by knocking down some uh, threes, which is very encouraging. Uh, this is the one thing that that I am always crossing my fingers for is, it's please give me give me a thirty five percent three point shot, Jimmy Butler, and you will just crush everybody come playoff time. Uh, unfortunately, though, like before, this ended up being a blowout loss for the Heat. And Miami ends up this week winning one of three, which is uh, what I had 
figured would have been. Like, I figured that Blazers game was winnable. That was kind of the, the X Factor one for me. But beating the Suns and then a back-to-back against the Nuggets, um, that just that's just a really brutal stretch. Those are two of the top four teams in the West at their at their place, back-to-back. And, yeah, again, like that, that Nuggets thing. Nikola Jokic in particular is very, very... A uh, very bad matchup for the Heat. They struggle with him. Bam kind of struggles just because of his length. And then for some reason, Miami, they they kept with their switching scheme, which kept putting Duncan Robinson on Nikola Jokic. And if Bam is struggling on Jokic, Robinson, as much as he's improved on defense, is nowhere near Bam's level, and he got absolutely cooked alive. But at the very least, we would not see Jokic again in the playoffs unless something crazy happens and we meet in the finals. So so we'll deal with that situation uh, when that happens. So looking forward from here, Miami's gotten pr- the worst part of the, this current s- part of their schedule out of the way with the Blazers, Suns, Nuggets. Looking forward, Miami has a game against the Timberwolves later tonight. This is definitely a very winnable game. Uh, can't go in expecting anything because this is the NBA, but... Miami plays up to gear. This is definitely a one they can get, and they would finish this West Road trip at two and two, which is solid. We would obviously always want to do better than that, but at the very least, that can help them tread water. After that, they host the Brooklyn Nets on Sunday, and so it's going to be a little tricky whether what who they end up playing because the Nets have kind of been rotating a lot of players in and out between like Durant, Harden, Irving, uh, between injuries and rest. And personal reasons, it's a little tricky to know who exactly we're going to have uh, come. Sorry, who we're going to play against come Sunday. However, this is an opportunity for Miami to make a statement. Last time these teams played, Bam Adebayo, even though it was a loss, Bam Adebayo ate them alive. So hoping to see some of that again, and that that's something he can build upon uh, from Wednesday, and want to see it tonight, and then want to see it Sunday as well. Although I would say. I'm doubtful we can win the game against the Nets on Sunday. After that, we host the Rockets on Monday, so we have a back-to-back. But at least it's home, so there's no traveling or anything like that. And at least the second night is against the Houston Rockets, who are one of the worst teams in the league and are probably looking to tank as much as possible. So that one I would also consider a very winnable game. Bam Adebayo versus Christian Wood, uh, if he's playing, would be an interesting matchup. But if not, then we just have to watch out for the Kelly Olynyk revenge game. Uh, lastly, to finish up the week before our, the next episode drops, on Wednesday we go on the road to the San Antonio Spurs, who have been in a little bit of a, a death spiral right now as they're careening down the standings. They're currently 10th in the West. They have just, let's see, two games over the Pelicans at the 11th. But... Point being, though, is that they're, they've been dropping recently. They've lost a lot of games, and this is another opportunity that Miami could pick up a win. And I think, at worst, they could go 3-1 next week. 4-0, uh, depending upon who's available in that Nets games and if the, the Heat can capitalize on that. But there is a chance here to go on a win streak, which is very much needed right now um, as we transition to look at to finish this up and look at the playoff picture right now. Currently, Philly has their lead on the first seed. They are one game up on Brooklyn after beating them earlier in the week. And the Bucks are two games after Brooklyn for the third seed. So there was a little bit of jostling, but Philly did 
uh, take it, not only did they take an advantage by getting a full game up on Brooklyn, but that also helps them in tiebreaker situations as well. So, like I've said before, my ideal matchup would be to have Philly uh, the one seed, so then we could take them on in the in the conference semifinals, assuming we get a four to five seed. The Bucks are holding steady at third, which in the in the event that Miami can't make that four to five seed and they end up getting stuck at six. At least that gives them a favorable matchup against a team that they have beaten before. I mean, the Bucks are different. They brought in uh, Drew Holiday, and they've been at least tinkering, experimenting more in the regular season rather than just focusing on racking up a ton of wins. So they seem to be gearing themselves to try to go deeper in the playoffs. And in a first-round matchup against them, they're going to be absolutely frenetic. Because a first-round exit would be an embarrassment for them. At the like I said though, at the very least, Miami could have a favorable matchup if they get the sixth seed. Obviously, with that, they would also avoid the play-in. So after that, after the Bucks at the third seed, there's five and a half games between three and four. So that huge gap hasn't changed at all. And then between the fourth seed and the ninth seed, this is that that log jam that we keep talking about. Uh, there's only three games of separation, and that's everything from the Hawks slash Celtics tied currently for the fourth and fifth seed to the Pacers at the ninth seed. Miami is currently seventh. Oh, sorry, to finish it up, uh, between the ninth and tenth, which the tenth is the last planned spot, there's a four-game difference. So it's looking very much like the Bulls are going to be stuck in that tenth seed, and it's going to be really tricky for anybody to kind of drop down uh, below, unless barring barring some crazy streaks going on. Because we are starting to get, we are about a month away from the end of the season, so it's all coming in, into picture now. Right now, Miami is currently seventh, which would make them uh, the play in, a play-in team. They would have home court advantage, and they would only have to one one game, but that is extra games that they have to play. Uh, as of right now, they're only a game and a half back of the fourth seed, or fourth slash fifth because they're tied right now. So it still kind of shows you that, like, if we can go into ne- this next week and go, say, like, 3 of 1 or something like that, or uh, ideally 4 of 0, oh, we can start to build and get back up in the standings. Even even with as little time as a month left, and that's about 16 to 18 games, depending upon the team. Uh, for Miami's case, they have 17 games left. Uh, at one and a half games left, one and a half games back of the fourth, there's still plenty of time for positioning to change. So it is it is becoming imperative now. Uh, doesn't look look like we have Oladipo. Bielitsa's shot isn't dropping. Uh, we did bring in some reinforcements with Dwayne Dedman. We got through a very rough week, at least getting one win, which kind of helps. And now Miami's positioned, at least for this next week, that they can maybe make up some ground. And then the big X factor is what's going to happen with that next game Sunday. Um, outside of that, though, I do thank you all. That'll be all for this episode. You can find me on Twitter at KBR Heat Nation and the pod at Heaters Heating. Also, be sure to check out the OTG Podcast Network if you care for any other teams or want some general NBA talk. Uh, you can check them out at OTG Basketball and also the NBA outlet for general NBA talk. Uh, Nick and the crew do a fantastic job there. I do thank you very much for checking in today, and I hope you all have a great one. Let's go, Heat Nation.